Listener Production. Hi, I'm Anthony Matafari, and I'm the lifestyle editor at Car Sales. For me, when I'm out on the road on a road trip with friends and family, you tend to have conversations you wouldn't usually have anywhere else. So I thought it'd be a good idea to head out on the road with some well-known Aussies to get to know them a little bit better. Let's meet today's guest. Katie Williams, thanks for having us along for the ride today. This is so much fun. So for those listening who may not be aware of your repertoire, can you take us through just top level what people might know you from? Repertoire, I love that. Um, I guess people might know me from Big Brother. People might know me from my sprinting days. I was a sprinter for many years. And now I'm a content creator and a podcaster. I've got a podcast called Better For It. And today, what vehicle are we in? This is my Hyundai Velosta. It's very funky. It's funky. She's little and she's quick. She's like me. Are you a car person? I actually am, yes. I love cars. To what extent? Like, I don't know the engines, but I know, like, quite a few models, and I know what cars I love. I'm ready to go. Let's fire up this beauty and hit the road. Let's fire up. Oh, hear that? She purrs. I used to have a really fast car, and it was, yeah, I loved it. Like, I would turn the car on, and I would get goosebumps. Oh, really? What car was that? It was a Mercedes GLC 63S, like a big, white, four-wheel drive, and I loved it. But it would purr. Like, it would. the car would rattle. <laughs> I would. Li- it, it was honestly so addictive. Did you get into a bit of trouble? <laughs> Being a- it, it is hard to like. It, it's so easy to speed in a V8, mm. but that's why I love this little car. Like it's a little turbo. It's fun. I love Hyundai's. I've never had an issues with this car, and it's easy. Like I work in the city. I'm a listener. It's just easy to park. It's easy to drive. I'll definitely upgrade when I have kids. Mm. But for now, it's amazing. Well, I'm pleasantly surprised how clean it is. Was that especially for this occasion or are you generally a neat person? Well, I got the car detailed and I was quite upset that there was still some dirt on the back. I was going to do the lick test, but I thought that wasn't appropriate. What's what's the lick test? The lick test is like, you know, if you can't lick the car, it ain't clean enough. When they say they do a hundred point inspection, is that one of the points? I think it is, yeah. Like ask ask the cleaner next time he cleans your car. All right, we'll do. Ask him about the lick test. (laughs) If you were a gazillionaire, um, what car would you buy? Because I know you you do like cars, Mm. and I'm sure there's one on your shopping list. I want the G-Wagon Mercedes. Be full influencer style, be at the beach. But I want it in like a pistachio colour with all black rims. Okay. That's what I would like. It's a lickable car. It's a lickable car. It's a sexy car. Pistachio um, ice cream on wheels. Gorgeous. Yeah, I want a different coloured car. Well, I don't know what the resale value is going to be. Like, five years' time, everyone's like, I'm so the pistachio. We're all about mocha now. What car would you get? I'm all about the Aston Martins. Yeah, gorgeous. I think it's just my downside. I wish I was James Bond. Wait, you can be. Got to start manifesting. Well, they are looking for a new James Bond, so who knows? Well, Daniel Craig's finished up. I'm trying to pretend that I'm a James Bond fan, but I actually don't even know who that, the actor is. Is he the original? Well, there's been 25 Bond Not the original, is he the, the last, last, last one. last one. Tell me about your childhood. Like, what oh. was it like growing up for you? I had a beautiful childhood. My parents were super supportive of my sporting career. My dad's really sporty. And my mum's just a weapon. They're actually in business together. Yeah, mum and dad have always been really, really, really hard workers. They taught us to save our money. Nick and I, Nick's my brother, we just lived a very competitive life. We did gymnastics, track and field, athletics, nippers, surf life saving, um, 
and then mum got us into swimming. I played touch footy, basketball, netball until I got older and started to get into sport. But I think a lot of our childhood revolved around sport, which for me was great. It kept me really disciplined and I was a very um, hyperactive child. So getting me in to exert my energy was smart. So that mean your parents were constantly driving you and your brother around to all the sporting commitments? Yeah, and my mum would sit in the car and read magazines, bless her. Oh. She'd, she would literally, at work, after work, drop me every single afternoon to team sport. And I would go for, I'd go from, like, netball to basketball or sprint training to swimming. Like, she was a beast. Um, what was your first car? My first car was the smallest car on the road. It was a Ford K-A. Oh. <laughs> and it was like a Fred Flintstone car. Like, you know, those little cars that, like, literally would fall out from underneath you and you could pedal. Like, I could hardly get up hills. And it was manual. But my mum said to me that I had to drive manual. So I saved up and bought this car when I was 16. So I had a... I wouldn't say fine. I had a very strong discussion with my dad when before I got my L's. He's like, you want to learn manual. And I'm like, but we don't have a manual car. And anyway, and this was my point, Ferraris don't come in manual, so why would I want to learn a manual? And he was like, yeah, fair enough. Genius and sassy. How old were you? In the ACT, you get your L's at 15 and 9 months. Oh, so um, that's crazy. So, yeah, it was very young. So no Ferrari for you at 16? No, unfortunately. And still at 30, there's no Ferrari either. <laughs> I wanted to have a motorbike, and I do ride them when I go overseas, but it's too red hot for me to have a motorbike. I'm too much of a rev head. When you were learning to drive, was that an easy process, or were there some hiccups along the way too? My mum taught me how to drive, and she was great. Like, she threw me right into the deep end. We went to just heaps of quiet streets. We were in manual. I bunny hopped a lot, but yeah, it was good. But my dad hated driving with me like oh, really? he, he would be panicking I would almost need to get him a spew bucket because he, so, <laughs> he was so stressed did he do the one hand on this grab handle that hand on that grab no, handle no seriously and then like swear if I like bunny hopped <laughs> like literally losing it like that <laughs> it was I couldn't drive with him I was going to have a panic attack you need to have a Valium after the drive oh gosh I've listened to your podcast and it's Thank very you. spiritual, I find. Thank you. Have you always been a spiritual person? Yes. I have a funny story, actually. The first tattoo I ever got was a tattoo in my mouth. like obviously In your mouth? Driving, but... So, okay, yeah. showing me her bottom lip. My bottom lip. And it says dream. I always, when I was a kid, I mean, I talk a lot now about manifesting and energy and energy work. And when I was younger, I would visualise myself winning world titles and I'd visualize myself making the Australian team and I'd visualize and it took me a very long time to reach these goals but I would see it in my mind feel it in my body and then I started to achieve these goals and I realized that there was a bit of a secret in this visualization and then attaching emotion to it and I kind of I don't know didn't know what manifesting was so at 18 I rushed out and got the tattoo dream because I kind of felt like that's what I was doing mm. I was dreaming and then like visualizing and dreaming and about my goals whereas now I know that it's manifesting law of attraction. There's actually kind of science around mm. it now. But at the time, I didn't know that. So, yes, I have always been kind of spiritual. So, you mentioned world titles. Yeah. So what sport was that in? So, I was a beach sprinter and I did it for 19 years. Oh, wow. Surf life saving was my sport. So, you grew up by the beach? Yeah, I grew up running. I did track and fields. I did lots of sports, but I actually wanted to go to the Olympics, but there's no Olympics in my sport. I think that's how we're very different. You're, I would say, sporty spice. Oh, and thanks. I'm probably posh spice. Oh, fun. I've only recently got into fitness and going to the gym and 
looking after my body more than just going, oh yeah, walk up the stairs, that'll do. What training are you doing? Oh, it's just going to the gym and just, uh, upper body, I've got really bad upper body, so. Hey, you've got biceps, you don't oh, have a bad upper oh, body. Well, yeah, that's a, that's so a year, that's a year, a year, <laughs> year of work. I'm, I'm glad it's paying off, even though I'm wearing black, which is, you know, always flattering. Oh, black's good. What point did you get to with sprinting where you're like, this is as far as I'm going, like, what do I do next? I got to that point the year before I retired and I had set myself up to work. So I was actually working for Fox Sport and I was doing presenting, but I was working on a show called Summer of Surf and competing on the show. Uh And then I was working with brands and sponsors and I started realizing that I liked doing stuff on camera. I started doing interviews and got a taste for like what podcasting is and I was doing workshops and presentations for athletes and I was like, God, I could, I could do this. I could start my own brand under my name kind of thing. And I not long retired and really threw myself into work, but I was, I think I was like 24 and I retired. Is that a weird thing to say? Like you retired at 24? Cause usually you think of people in their like sixties or seventies retired. Well, I'd done my sport for 19 years and my body had kind of had enough. Like I was an overtrainer and would push myself to the limit all the time, which was a really pricey lesson. Cause I actually missed my retiring race uh-huh. in Holland. I was supposed to go run in Holland for world titles and I wanted to win and I had to pull out cause the doctor wouldn't let me fly. I had a, um, I had bronchiolitis uh-huh. and I had he was worried that it was pneumonia and there's no way I could race, like my body was in shambles. So after that I didn't want to train for another two years and it's just such a commitment. It's like everyday training, sometimes twice a day training, can't really go out, can't have late nights, like your whole life becomes your sport. And I wanted to party, I wanted to have fun, I wanted to live, I wanted to travel, I wanted to earn good money and I wasn't earning good money in my sport. So I kind of had enough. Usually when you're 18 or younger, you party a bit or you Mm. do silly stuff. But when you're so disciplined doing a sport, then all of a sudden you're not doing that anymore. Did that all happen at once? Or have you kind of settled in going, yeah, sorry, I don't have to party, I don't have to be crazy? I think I would have been a better athlete if I wasn't wild, but I was quite a wild teenager. And I tried to balance having a really, like, fun social life with being an athlete and it would impact my training. How wild are we talking? <laughs> <laughs> I was a bit of a naughty kid. Like, oh. I just was a bit of a rebel. Like, I trained my ass off and I represented my country, so I understood that I had a lot of responsibility. But, like, in the off-season, like, yeah, I'd go to all my friends' 18ths and 21sts and there was a lot of athletes not doing that. Mm. They were so disciplined that they would miss things. So there was times where I was extremely disciplined, like three or four months out before big competitions, no drinking, no going out. But in the off-seasons, you've got to live. Mm. But when I did retire, I did, like, have a bit of, I, I don't know, I think I definitely relived my youth a little bit because I didn't have responsibility and when you're training every day god you don't want to be hung over mm. and i refuse to be hung over at training i hated it because like you're gonna vomit especially pushing yourself oh i pushed myself to vomiting constantly without being hung over because that's what you do on the track like all my training was done on the track and i trained really hard mm. so yeah i would like murder myself because i was so desperate to win <laughs> like I look back now and I'm like, God, you could have had a rest day. Like, you could have just taken a chill pill. After all the sport, are you still a really competitive person? I am a competitive person, but I think I've given myself a bit of a break. It's taken me, like, 
probably six years of therapy to like not beat myself up and be critical about everything. I think when you're an athlete or you do something at an elite level, you're always looking at the one percenters and what you can improve and what needs fixing and you're being coached. So I spent my whole life being coached and I still have coaches now in different different avenues, but I've learned to give myself a break because my body's different. I don't look the same and I'm not as strict as I used to be. And that feels really good. What tips would you have for somebody who, you know, that's someone who might be sitting in your passenger seat going, I'd like to be a bit more fit and more centered. Like what practices could, you know, we do in our own lives to kind of center ourselves or kind of get more from our bodies and our minds? I think the best thing to do is keep it simple when you're making lifestyle changes and you're wanting to improve your health. What happens with people is everyone gets really excited. I know I do this as well, where you set a goal, you start a new training program, go to a new gym, you quit coffee, you quit sugar, you start a diet and you try and do it all at once. It always fails because the body doesn't like too much change. So I would say start with one habit at a time. Start with your water. Literally do a week of just drinking more water. Start with cutting back your alcohol or cutting back your coffee. Start with, if you're not into meditation, do some easy breath work. There's the four, seven, eight breath, which is four seconds in, seven second hold and eight second out. Or Dr. Andrew Huberman has an amazing form of breath work, which is really good for waking up the nervous system and firing you up, giving you energy. And that's the physiological sigh, which is a double inhale through the nose and then exhale through the mouth. I think in the fitness industry, things are very complicated. You can calm your body down with simple breath work in five minutes. I don't think we need to be sitting down and meditating for 40 minutes a day. I don't think we need to be worrying if we're having a second or third coffee or worrying about, you know, supplements. I think we need to get the basics right. Do something that calms your mind, aka meditation, journaling, going for a swim or a walk, walking the dog, whatever works for you doing some form of movement and movement that you like. You don't have to go to F45 or do a HIIT training that really smashes you. Could be as simple as like Pilates or going for a walk or going for a swim. And the last one is nutrition. Just like eat whole foods. I really, I really, I know that sounds kind of basic, but if you're drinking water, eating whole foods, cutting back your alcohol and trying to move your body and do something for your mind, it's solid. I was going to suggest that we do a meditation, but you are driving, and I probably, that's probably a really bad idea. Are you competitive as a driver? Like, when you're on the road, do you get the rage? Do you, like, get really in, into beeping the horn? Like, what's your vibe? No, I don't ever beep the horn, but I actually do have a bit of road rage. Because you know what really annoys me? When people beep you in traffic. Mm. Like, you obviously can't go anywhere. It's peak hour traffic. Why are you beeping me? It really, it really, it really grinds my gears. It really annoys me. Have you had any incidents in your time as a driver? Yeah, I actually had a car crash. It wasn't my fault. Thank God it wasn't my fault. But I rode my car off at 60 kilometres and yeah. I tore three ligaments in my neck. Wow. Yeah, but I didn't know. So I was just went back to work what? and was cruising. And then like four or five days later, I, was, I started to feel a lot of pain. I couldn't move my neck. And then I was taken to hospital and I had some solid injuries. Ouch. Yeah. But I felt like it was the universe actually throwing me into the deep end and physically stopping me because I was on this journey of a really fast paced life, 
working too much, saying yes to too much, burning myself out, still training too much. And I had the car crash and I was in a neck brace for like three weeks and I had to start easing back into training and actually listening to my body. So I feel like it was a blessing because it was the only thing at the time that was actually going to stop me. Like I said, I was really excited. I did Ninja Warrior. There's all these fun, exciting things happening. Mm. And I wasn't taking the time to actually reflect on my retirement. I wasn't taking the time to forgive myself for my retirement. I was actually going through a lot mentally. And because I had the car crash, I actually had to sit with myself in my bloody neck brace and deal with the things that I had been putting at the back of my mind. So it was actually quite healing. I mean, it was obviously horrible mm. and it took me many years because I used to visualize, I used to have nightmares that I crashed oh, wow. and I used to have nightmares that the lady that hit me died. So oh. she didn't, she didn't, but I had nightmares about it. She was fine. She was absolutely fine. And to be honest, I was fine too, besides my neck, but you do have like a bit of PTSD around that. How long did it take before you got behind the wheel again? Oh, straight away. Okay. So yeah. that, did, that didn't cramp your style? No, it didn't. But I just, I had, I, I really, it did make me really reconsider that I'm not invincible. You just don't think you're going to crash until you actually crash. And then you realise, wow, I'm this one little fragile human body going at 60. Because that's what happened, right? When the car crashed, my little body was going at 60. And then you feel all the impact. I guess you didn't even realise, like, the marks and stuff, the pain that you have on your sternum from the seatbelt. Seat so I think I just realised, like, that life is really precious and I'm not invincible, even though at my ripe age of, like, 22, I thought I was. So tell me about your podcast, because I hear that it first started out as you doing challenges and it has evolved over time because, obviously... There's only so many challenges one person can do. Yes, I was the human guinea pig, actually. <laughs> it was quite, it was honestly awesome the way we started. So my podcast is called Better For It. It's a health, wellness and self-development podcast. So we sort of cover all facets of health, which is awesome. But when I first started, I would do challenges. So I'd like quit coffee for two weeks. I'd go vegan for two weeks. I would do primal zoo training for two weeks. Like whatever challenge we could think of in the health industry that was trending, I would do. And to be honest, I loved it, but I also got to a point where I was quite, quite exhausted. I kind of like didn't want to quit sugar anymore. I did. I kind of had reached my limit with it. So I met with my producers and I said, okay, what can we do? So we pivoted the podcast to now still talking about a challenge that I'm facing, bringing in an expert and then discussing kind of like the solutions to it. So it's been a really good pivot and we've had such good guests. So you came out on your podcast how did you get to that place personally that you were ready to let your listeners and your family know about that part of your life? Well, I did an episode of my podcast recently talking about my coming out, but I actually came out on my Instagram because Georgia and I got photographed and I knew it was going to get out. Mm. So my friends knew and my family knew, but my extended family didn't know at the time. But when I started dating Georgia no one knew. My parents didn't know. My mum thought I was straight. It was pretty heavy. Like, it, it's not even coming out at the, that time. It's every time you go somewhere, like you go to a wedding, people haven't seen you in a year, mm. you got to come out again. You 
are at a party and a guy asks you out and then your girlfriend walks over and he goes, oh, this is your friend. He goes, no, this is my partner. You come out again. So there's just like so many moments where you do come out in just in general. But it definitely was really hard for me to tell my mum and dad and my brother because I think they only ever knew me as straight and like I've known for a few years that I'm in between and I think it just really shocked them. But they love Georgia. Yeah. Like, they're obsessed with her. I think Georgia's, like, the daughter that mum didn't have because she's, like, more girly and, like, <laughs> wears, like, will wear dresses that my mum would love. And, like, I've definitely got more... Like, I wear dresses and I love wearing dresses, but I wouldn't wear anything hoochie like Georgia does. Like, <laughs> hoochie? Hoochie, yeah. Hoochie mama. Hoochie mama. But, yeah, it's hard. It's it's hard. I, I just did it straight away. Like, I literally started j- dating Georgia and I just... Mum asked me who I was dating, and I actually was dating a guy not long before. Mm. And she said, oh, like, who are you dating? And I said, oh, I'm actually dating a girl. And <laughs> poor mum, she was like, what? Like, yeah, you see your brain tick over, and I don't know. I did it really casually because I didn't want it to be a big thing. I don't think it's this, like, groundbreaking thing. Mm. It's like if I was dating a guy, that's how I'd say it. I'd say I'm actually dating someone. That's how it would be. I didn't want to build it up in my head as this massive thing like everyone perceives that it is and it is for people who maybe have lived in the closet for such a long time I'm not trying to um underestimate how stressful it is but I did it so casually to my family because I felt like it wasn't a big thing do you feel like some people reacted in a way that like they were trying to make you feel worse like why would you tell me this about you or like oh my whole idea of you's changed of like was everyone pretty much like yep we you know you are who you are doesn't matter yeah my family were really amazing about it and I think it helps when you've got it definitely helps when you've got a beautiful partner Mm. if I had brought someone home that my parents didn't like I think it would be more confronting but because they love Georgia and because she's slipped right into the family and is so much part of our family, I think it makes the process easier. I think it would have been harder if I said to mum, hey, I, you know, think I'm attracted to girls, you know, but I have dated guys, I'm still attracted to guys. I think she'd be really, I think it'd be really kind of confusing. I think it is easier when you have a partner, but everyone received it pretty well. I mean, I get trolled, like... I get some hectic comments. Like, there'll be videos on TikTok that go off, like, go viral. I've had videos on Instagram go viral of me and Georgia. And the comments are, like, really bad. (laughs) But they're people that I don't know and they're opinions that I don't care about. But lucky that I am strong in my sexuality because some of the things that people say are horrific. Where do you draw the line? Do you just go, I'm turning off comments, I, I need a break from this, or do you just, like, totally ignore it? No, I just leave the comments there. Like, if you're going to write gross stuff on my Instagram, you're obviously not a very happy human. That's what I think. Mm. And I don't get, like, it's 99% great, but then there's, like, the trolls on there that have really got nothing. They're just sad humans. Like, they need some love. And I also think if someone's really triggered about, like, two girls being in love, two guys being in love, or whatever, whatever version of love there is... If you're so rattled by it, why don't you look at your own sexuality? Because I think they're probably the closet gays that are getting so triggered. You had a lot of notoriety being on Big Brother. Mm. So when you're having stories written in like the Daily Mail or whatever about your sexuality or about bits of your life that really like 
do other people need to know? How do you digest that? I'm pretty cool about it. I'm blessed that I haven't had negative press. And when I have had articles about my sexuality, a lot of the time they've taken it from my podcast, so it's come out of my mouth, and they've taken it from my Instagram. If there was something written about me that was incorrect, I would be really upset. But so far, the articles have been like snippets of things that have come from me. The only thing is, it is hard when you get photographed when you're not prepared. Like we got photographed at the beach and I was, it just like was kind of violating because like Georgia was like doing a wee in the water. Like we were like, I just eaten the burger. Like it just was, I was all bloated. I really didn't want to get my photo taken. And we got papped at the beach and like, it was cute. We're being cute, but like, God, but it's a part of the game. You've got to, I think you've just got to learn to block out the things that you don't want to take on. What was Big Brother like? Because, you know, we're similar age and I remember as a kid watching that and going, people living in house cameras, I don't want someone filming me going to the toilet or that'd be fun doing those challenges. But when you're actually there, what's that like? Well, babe, it probably feels a little bit like this in a car with cameras, except you're in a house with cameras. The cameras are everywhere. Like there's cameras on you when you sleep. There's cameras on you when you go to the bathroom. There's cameras on you when you're in the kitchen cooking. Like they just, they're everywhere. And there's also cameramen as well that are moving behind walls. Like they're everywhere. So I think for the first few days, you definitely feel like you're being watched. It's like, you know, those little mice that are being analyzed in like a lab. That's kind of what it feels like. Then you just get used to it. Like right now I'm not looking at the cameras and looking at the road. So you just get used to it. Mm. So what made you want to be on that show? I was asked to be on the show, but I wanted to do the show because it's a, I like things that push me. I like things that make me uncomfortable. I like things that test me. Mm. And this was the most testing thing I've ever done. Obviously a show like SAS would be the most and Survivor would be like mm. so hard. Big Big Brother is testing. They try and break you, but it makes the best TV. So what's next for you? So you've obviously got the pod, you've got your fitness brand, you've been on a lot of, you know, challenge, challenging shows. Yeah. What would you like to do next? I'm actually working on a running program. Um, I don't know what I'm going to launch first. I want to do a running program and I want to do a fitness program. I just don't know which one I'll start with. I think the running program is going to be a quicker process. Um... Yeah, it's definitely the next progression for me. Like, I've got an audience and I want to start selling my own my own thing, my own brand. You want to be the next Les Mills? Sure, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the only person's name I could think yeah. of. <laughs> you know, I'd love to do that. So that's kind of what I'm working on at the moment, but it's a bit of a beast. I don't think it's going to be a quick thing to just pump out because I'm, once again, a bit of a perfectionist and very anal about how I want it to be. So life, much like a journey full of twists and turns, roadblocks, expressways. How would you describe your life in a form of a journey? So so I'm going real deep on this one. I used to think it was quite in the fast lane, but now I am quite enjoying the ride and taking it all in and trying to be more present. So I think I've gone from the F1 to maybe the high-end-eye life. I'm joking. I still like the fast life, but... I think I'm enjoying the ride a bit more, for sure, and and slowing down to smell the roses. Katie Williams, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me along for the ride. I have loved it. Thank you so much. 
Along for the ride is a listener and car sales production hosted by me, Anthony Matafari. Producer is Kelsey Menzies, audio by Kelly Fulston, and executive producer is Todd Stevens. Listener.